Hello, welcome to yet another episode of Beyond the Present Podcast. My name is Daniel Mulgan, and I'm here joined live by Poochix from Canada. Hey there, my man, how's it going? Life is great. It's been a while. How are you? I am doing terrific. Of course, I got a little bit of a cold here, but things are, for the most part, pretty fine. And, of course, we have Marvin back for yet another show. Marvin, the Gates, Alison Oldman. All right, it's going pretty great. Marvin, I want to ask you one question about your name, because uh, your name, of course, is German. And in the German language, obviously, we don't have the uh, rolling R, Marvin, right? So what's the story, like, when you got to Canada, like, about your name? You having, like, any problems to express yourself and to talk about it? Oh, hell yeah. It's, it's a funny story, actually. What happened? We'd like to know, actually, about it. Well, I, I was, was trying to say my name, and people were like, what's your name? And I'm like... It's 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 Marvin, and so like we, we don't roll the R as much. Um, I think there's no rolling R in German, is there? Yeah, like we we kind of do it. Um, it's more like the British R, like Marvin, something like this. Yeah, it's more it's more like yeah, just put the emphasis on on, on the A. And exactly. On the R. And so you just you don't really hear the R in, in the German way. You just say Marvin. Exactly. So, yeah. I was confused because I, I expected that people know my name, but they didn't. <laughs> or, or they do, but they just couldn't understand me. So it was wow. kind of a, a funny, funny moment. So you had to rename yourself and rebrand yourself as Marvin. Like, you're like, my name is Marvin, idiot. Marvin, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it happens to quite a few Germans, actually, that they um, just say their names different here. All right. <laughs> actually, like a, actually yeah. my... Uh, you, uh, you, Marvin, know Lars, who is also German, yeah. and he was on the show too. But so that that he had the same problem, uh, and I remember I don't remember having that problem with you, maybe because we texted beforehand. But um, I remember he was saying his name is like I don't say tell me if I'm wrong, but something like Lars. Lars, exactly. That's the German way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, what excuse me. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Pretty tough, man. You, you kind of get. In a dilemma because, like, you have your German name and you know how you'd say it at home, but then you come into a foreign country and sure, you, you can be like, okay, I'm gonna stick with my original name, <laughs> push for it, but wow. everybody is gonna, is not gonna understand you, of course. Like, and they know, but they know like the, the German name, but just say it differently. So, if you just say it in, in the Canadian or English way, people understand you, so it's just like, you have to go with it, otherwise it's such a pain. And, of course, sometimes some of my friends uh, from around the world, when they come to America, like, they somehow pick up American names or, like, they make nicknames. Like, a Marvin would be something like, I don't know, like a Max or, like, a Marty or something like this. Like, they pick up some nicknames. You ever thought about that? Marv. I call him Marvs. Marvs. Wow. That's pretty cool, man. That's amazing. A lot of things are fine on your end because at least your name, you can like use M-A. I remember once I was in uh, Beijing and of course the name Daniel there is meaningless, right? So everybody who goes to Beijing has to pick a Chinese name. And like I literally had to look for a Chinese name because if you say, for example, uh, what's out? Daniel Morgan. Like, uh, what the hell are you talking about? Like they get confused, right? But if you choose like a Chinese, like a Chinese nickname, they like get you completely, right? So perhaps from my my perspective like yeah, yeah. the best way is to just uh somehow have a nickname but like in a cool way like my name is marty but actually it's marvin so remember that like, like kind of like <laughs> in, in a cool way all right very nice so first of all marvin how are you doing man long time no see we wanted to have the show a lot you know way back but you were apparently on your way to germany yes i was home for a bit like i 
was, yeah. So where do you live in Germany exactly? Which city? I'm close to Frankfurt. Frankfurt, fantastic. Nice place. Very well. It's a small small village, actually. It's not too big. Like, I'm not from Frankfurt. Oh, really? So you live near Frankfurt? Near Frankfurt. It's like, you'd say here, I'm from Toronto. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm at Guelph right now, so, you know, it's... But you say I'm from Toronto. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. It's yeah, kind of like the guys. People that are not from Canada, they won't know Guelph, for example, and so I just say, okay, I'm from Toronto. Same I'd say I'm from Frankfurt. And one quick question, of course, it's not about our topic today, but uh, very quickly, how is the culture like spread out in your country? Like, because uh, I, I love Frankfurt and of course I love Berlin and a lot of our flights, especially our intercontinental flights from the U.S. actually lands in Frankfurt first and then goes to other places. Oh, yeah. So uh, what is uh, like, is your culture like in your, uh, let's say, town different than, let's say, Frankfurt's cultures or Berlin or like the country as a whole uh, is like they, they just follow the same culture? I'd say it's quite different actually yeah so of course you always have the difference between small cities and large cities like there's a a different mentality in larger cities i'd say but also specifically for germany i probably argue that you know like in a small village where i'm from like it's three thousand people there's not like you know everybody knows each other wow traditional stuff that's going on um and, and so, yeah, life is quite different there, I'd say. Interesting. I've never lived, lived at Frankfurt personally, but yeah, I'd say uh, it's quite quite a difference. Fantastic. And the last cultural question before we move on to the topic of the show, which is something entirely yeah. different, and that is, what do you love the most about the German culture? Oh, wow. Um, hmm. Because I really believe that, you know, I, I literally think of the German language as probably the smartest language in every way. Number one, pronunciation rules in your language are very, very consistent. For example, in English, like we have different pronunciations for different words, but like in German, everything has this, you know, basically pronunciation. So you know what's a claw, you know, like K has always one sound, A has always one sound, IE has one sound. So it's a very orderly language, basically. Of course, I have one problem with your language, and that's the length of the words. I remember once I found a German word that was 18 letters long, man. I was like literally going crazy. Like, what the, is that a word or a freaking three sentences put together or like maybe typo? It was crazy, man. It's like nothing. 18 is nothing though. Oh my goodness. You know, like longer words? Yeah, you could easily. Can you say one of them? Would you like to say the longest word you know in German? Oh, there's this classic one. Wait, let me get it together. Uh, it's Schifferts or something like that. Oh my gosh, wow. He has to take time to pronounce, like, put it together. Literally, and he's a native speaker, by the way. It's amazing, yeah. wow. So, overall, I love it. Probably could, probably could stack it up even more, add some words at the end. That's always a good Wow. Fantastic, I like it. It's pretty good. So, uh, you mentioned about the, you know, the best part of the German culture that you like the most. say it's kind of yeah the precision and things is kind of nice like language um how germans work sure there's a lot of like um stereotypes there like you know germans are efficient blah 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 um from another perspective one could say you know it's a lot of like bureaucracy as well um, oh yeah it's a bit of like a two-sided, like yeah two-sided metal um yeah but generally i'd say 
And I was watching a German uh, TV show a, a, long, a while back, basically, and th they were very critical of Merkel. I, I think most foreigners, they don't know exactly about the politics of Germany. Like, they think, like, everything is fine there. But I heard Merkel is, like, a subject of uh, satires and comedies and not very liked in that country. Is that true? Exactly. I had no idea. I was really surprised when I saw like all these comedies making fun of her all the time. I'm like, dude, I thought she was popular back in back home, but apparently she's not. Yeah. Um, no. Like, there's there's a good movement that is kind of fed up with her. It's her 13th year in uh, as counselor, and so people are just like fed up with her. And she's the, the issue with her is I think is that she's uh, pretty like outspoken internationally, but she's kind of quite like within the country like mm -hmm. there's not there, there's not a lot of movement uh, like germans feel like everything is the same like it's not gonna change um new no new policies there's problems piling up but uh yeah it's it's kind of like yeah people feel like maybe it's time for uh, for the next one. Oh, probably and do you have like a you know democratic constitution like you have elections i mean how could he or she actually serve for 13 years like the president uh, or you don't have of course a president you have a chancellor i believe so how could she serve for so long well <laughs> if she gets elected she could serve forever oh really have, oh my the US, there's no limit on the amount of years how like how often Oh, man. I wish we had that law in the U.S., man. Obama was still our president. God damn it. Unbelievable, man. On the other hand, Trump would be indefinitely. <laughs> that's also good news. Yeah, that's right. Very well. So enough politics, enough German, and we love German people. I'm a huge fan of your culture and language as well as the general efficiency of your country, Marvin. And of course, we're going to call you Marvin, but sometimes if you like got upset, we're going to call you Marvin. Don't worry about it. We're going to use both to make you happy. And for today, our topic, <laughs> that's right, is technological disruption and finding solutions such as basically having a global income that is uh, equal and egalitarian. So first of all, Pujix, what exactly is technological disruption? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, it's good to define things because, I mean, it's a broad term that you can go into details, obviously, but essentially with changes in technology, which already happened, but it's going to only happen rapidly and more broadly so in the future, uh, with changes in technology, a lot of uh, jobs has been displaced. Uh, a lot of people have been out of work, and this is going to keep happening. We know it's going to happen. Exactly. Um, for, for good, and, and this is, whether you agree with it or not, this is not something you can actually stop at this point so uh, the argument uh, on, on that note would be uh, non-practical um, so the, the point is we know these changes are coming we know uh, a lot of people are going to be out of jobs for example we have at least in the United States and uh, or North America in general we have a lot a big population who are relying for their day-to-day -day, you know uh, paychecks basically uh, life uh, the work they do is just basically driving and self-driving cars are the one prominent promise of the technology that is uh, to come and um, with that a lot of these folks would have uh, 
would have to be displaced at some point. Uh, the, the, there are arguments that this is going to be uh, gradual or uh, instant or something. That, that's irrelevant. Eventually, it's going to happen. So uh, this is what we call technological disruptions because it's disrupting a lot of things that we're used to. And this is the conventional way of doing things. And uh, with that change, we have to be able to adopt as, uh, as quickly as it comes. So that's, a, that's an issue for sure. Fantastic. Great way to define it. Now that we've defined the terminology, let's talk about the impacts and how we're going to see this in the future. So, uh, Marvin, what is your perspective regarding the future of technology disruption and how will this affect our societies in the coming years and decades from your perspective? I think we're going to see immensely huge changes in, in the future. Um, like things that we barely can imagine right now are going to be um, handled differently. Um, so we're going to have technology that replaces jobs, technology um, that require different kind of jobs. Um, so most of the stuff is but that we probably want to uh, talk about today is, mm-hmm. is uh, related to like work and like how we organize work and uh, what technology you, we use for work. And uh, I think we're going to see, yeah, immensely changes like like huge changes there and uh i i it feels like we're not really prepared for it wow as always uh classic humans i'd say um things just happen and then they have to deal with it and i think this is gonna this is gonna hit us in in the future and we already see it and we can find solutions for it right now and uh I, i hope we figure this thing out Interesting. Well, you mentioned a lot, you know, a lot about the issue of uh, employment. Of course, uh, the current U.S. president apparently doesn't have a goddamn clue what that problem is, and he believes that uh, manufacturing jobs are the best jobs ever. Let's open the coal mine. So he believes that this trend will continue. And of course, we're already seeing a serious damage to the very, uh, basically, structure of the U.S. economy. And as we already know, 2020, we expect to have a major global economic crisis because of all of these things. And the trend is just getting started. So uh, we don't want to like scare our audiences here, but let's be honest, guys, the threat is real and the change is coming. A lot of the jobs that we currently uh, rely on for running our society societies will disappear and not necessarily in a decade, some of them like in less than a few years, right? So we want to find out if there is any solution for this problem, because let's be honest, we can't stop technology. It's going to grow no matter what we do. So since we cannot stop the basically progress made in technology, we have to think of other more social political aspects to deal with this issue effectively. So Pujas, I'm going to move on to you here. Uh, From your perspective, This issue is very dire and serious, but what are your perspectives regarding solving this issue with other means? Because we can't stop technology. We can't stop the AI from getting so good that it can do almost everything by itself. So what do you think are some of the solutions here to help humanity somehow go through this crisis? Right. I mean, um, first of all, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't stop it. And let, let me be clear, this is the, something that if, if you put uh, the, the problem of uh, unemployment aside and put it in perspective, this, this is a thing that we want to happen because these are uh, the, the tools that help us, uh, you know, optimize our performance and not kill our workers or people who are not, don't want to do particular jobs, for example. It's just like they have to do it because they have to feed their families, etc. So, I, I mean, not obviously there are so many categories and I'm not 
narrowing down to one or two, but in general, these are the types of jobs that we're talking about, mm-hmm. at least in the initial stages. Uh, but it doesn't ma- it mean that we're not going to face these problems. We're still going to face these problems, as you mentioned, and we're going to have to come up with uh, ways to solve them. Honestly, if, if you're asking me, I don't think I know the answer to that question, and that's the problem. I don't think anybody particularly well does. And... I mean, I don't want to make it dramatic, but I think this is one of those issues that we need a Manhattan Project style level wow. uh, project to solve this problem. Because like, there are a lot of suggestions of problems thrown out there, but there's so many holes and they're not particularly defined. We haven't done studies. For example, one of the classic ones is universal basic income. First of all, what do we mean by universal basic income? I, I'm not really convinced that that, that works. Do we mean literally universal, meaning across all of the earth, meaning that we will tax people in New York and Silicon Valley, the the, uh, riches, and then send them to the third world countries that are struggling? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't don't think uh, the population of America is prepared to accept that, even if you want to do that. So these are the issues that we, first of all, it's not even defined well. Second of all, uh, we haven't done experiments to see if they even work. So I think- Let me stop you right now, Pujix. Don't you think that this universal basic income is something more like uh, a universal form of communism and socialism? Well, again, it depends on how you define it. It could very well be that. Because we saw what communism basically did in the 20th century, and we know the results. It was quite clear that this methodology and what Marx basically, uh, and Marxism as well as Leninism and all these things, they tried to change that. They knew that they wanted to create that universal approach to income. But we already know what happened in the Soviet Union. And uh, I, I work in Moscow. I work in Russia. So I'm quite aware of the current changes in the economy. And there, the economy is struggling a lot because it's now 25 years out of communism. And that, that level of capitalism is still on its feet and it's not quite uh, well prepared. So are you saying that the solution is to somehow make the whole world a communistic bloc? Well, the difference, no, because um, the, the, well, at least the popular proposal of the universal basic income, the general definition they gave is not to basically, uh, you know, have like a communist center that is in control of all the resources and wealth and land and everything and then distributes amongst people it's to define a basic needs of humanity every single human being and their families uh, depending on how they are they single etc and say for their mere survival how much they would need not to die basically (laughs) again i mean not not just not to die but with a basic uh, quality of life i suppose as well and then uh, that would become a yes universal basic salary because we the, the thinking there is that we technically cannot guarantee these people to have jobs to be able to hold jobs and then we can't let them die either it's not the idea of communism that we want to not with that mindset but with a different mindset and if you want to basically earn more, then you, that's a different story. You're gonna have to go out, out of your way and uh, struggle to, um, like the like today, basically. Interesting. Uh, good good point. Yeah. We're going to talk about this a lot because I'm going to go right now to Marvin because Marvin, of course, you're from Germany. And as we know, the European Union in general is a lot more socialistic, basically. So for that being said, I want to actually right now move on to you and ask you about your perspective. So 
Do you think that uh, in the current situation that we are facing right now around the world, having the idea, the concept of a universal basic income will work? I mean, now we are seeing a lot of problems and catastrophes in basically Europe. Um, one of my colleagues, basically, and his wife, they're from France. And I was talking to these guys literally last week about this issue. And the first word that he said, like, Dan, France catastrophe like things are problematic now people are rising against the wealthy and capitalism and of course germany i'm pretty sure that the tax rates there are quite high compared to the u.s for example so uh, given that you know very well about how your system works in basically germany uh do you think the idea of having a universal basic income will be useful um it's a tough question the thing is we don't really know yet like the thing is It's a thing, it's an idea that came up and it gets more and more popular, but it's not really been tested yet. So we don't quite, we're not really sure about the outcomes of this thing. Like we don't know um, if people are going to be more free or, you know, if they just take all the money and spend it on booze. Like we, we don't really know that, like for sure. Um, but I want to come back to like the, the, the communist part that you mentioned. That's about. right. I think... Um, the, the basic income is more it's more like a, an alternative to welfare so in that sense it's much more uh, like a, a, a social social tool um, to like to organize and help people that, that need it mm -hmm. um, in comparison to like communism where we completely organize um, the economy by by a party or by a person maybe even and so that's quite different actually we wouldn't um, overthrow capitalism in itself we'd still kind of have that and it's just um, kind of a reorganization of, of welfare and so um I mean, you're talking about welfare right now, Marvin, because one of my friends, uh, basically, uh, her name is uh, Morgan, and she lives in Sweden. And she talked about the issue that in Sweden now, since there is this intensive like healthcare, Medicare, welfare thing going on, there are professional alcoholics who receive their unemployment benefit every month and literally spend all their time at the bar, gambling, going around. I mean, do you really think, I mean, we are seeing this right now. This is not something that we have not seen. I I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure uh, about Germany if you have this level of unemployment benefits uh, in Germany, but in Sweden, I'm pretty sure that we have professional alcoholics. Like their job is literally going to a bar, getting drunk and talking all day long. That's all they do because they have this, you know, welfare, if you call it, and they have it every single month so they don't have to worry about getting a career or something. So, I mean, I don't know about Germany, whether or not you have this level of coverage there, but do you think this is appropriate to somehow give people money just because they're there? people spending the money on booze or whatever um sure you will see people doing that but it's it's i i'd argue it's it's a small portion of people and sure you will like you know they'll stand out in a way and they will like be a really negative example of this but with that being said like you know look at these people like it's 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 not a happy life they don't they don't own the system they're the system they're kind of yeah I, I would say losers in a way, but this is not like if if you want to come up with like welfare systems, you have you have to own it. You have to accept that people are going to spend it on things that they shouldn't spend it on. Um, but that's kind of the price that you pay, and I think what you get back is much more worth than um, some people spending it on on alcohol. Interesting. Um, so I think I, I think it will 
enable people. It will enable people to live a decent life, um, not always and not anywhere, uh, everywhere. Like um, there's difference. Probably Sweden has a good one. Germany is kind of nah. It's not the best welfare system, um, but it will enable people to survive and uh, maybe. Um, you know, the idea is to, to get a, uh, some education, maybe uh, get a better job and basically come back to life. It's, it's a security net. Um, and you, you, you see, if you, if you compare countries that have a good welfare system to countries that don't, um, you will see immensely uh, big differences in, 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 in levels of happiness and in terms of uh, economic production. Um, it's quite it's interesting. Like an argument that often comes up is, you know, it's expensive. We just waste the money. But if you take a country like Denmark or Sweden, which have like well-established welfare systems, they also have a, have a good GDP and they're they, they're productive and they uh, uh, their uh, citizens are happy in comparison to countries that don't really have a like the U.S. Um, oh my gosh! Don't even talk about Trump, man. Oh, don't even talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Cutting, cutting, cutting is, isn't going to help. And at some t- like at certain points, you have to spend and you have to own that just some people are going to waste it. But you'll have much more people that actually need it and they're going to live. They're going to use it well, I think. Very well point. I, I like it, actually. Now, let's move back here to Pujix about how we can actually implement a universal basic income. And from your perspective, let's be honest, we have a lot of different nations around the world. And as you can see, as the recent trade wars between the United States and China proved, uh, sometimes the interests do not basically match, and we have uh, to somehow deal with certain uh, tensions in geopolitics as well as relationship between the nations. So how in the world are we going to bring all these countries together? I mean, Trump literally said, sorry, I got to build a wall, no time for the global forum, economic forum. So how in the world are we going to create a universal system where we can pay everybody around the world equal income using the same currency. I mean, how in the world are we going to literally agree on which currency to put that universal income in, let alone actually provide it? And how will these governments come to an agreement to actually make that a reality? Yeah, you have a very good point here. And I can't, honestly, at this point with the current uh, political spectrum that we see, I can't see it actually happening. So hence the reason that I said maybe um, the Manhattan level project required but um and and when you well i'm not completely up to date with the academic literacy but uh, when you talk to people who are uh, seeing this and trying to tackle this actually practically they're really talking about national level not universal in a sense of one nation not in, in the sense of the whole world which is not actually the big problem because the big problem are not the people who are going to be starving in the united states sure that's a problem uh, but the bigger problem is with the developing countries who are relying on these types of jobs that are quickly going to be uh, irrelevant completely irrelevant uh, and they, they will be and there is another another level to this problem it's not just people not having jobs and um, you know not being able to feed themselves and their uh, families that's obviously a big problem and maybe the, the, the second one that I'm gonna mention is actually very much interwoven but um, the other aspect is people of this class uh, in all over the world where we're seeing already maybe that's one of the backfires of 2016 elections in the United States but in general they are seeing themselves more and more becoming irrelevant and that's that's on a psychological level super 
whether that's true or not, that's what is being perceived by them. Um, on a psychological level, this is very, very dangerous, and it could have uh, big, uh, you know, uh, uh, consequences. I mean, let me jump in right now because I work in international business, and I'm familiar. You mentioned just the U.S. here. I don't think the problem is just the U.S. I mean, for example, think about the Brexit. Recently, we were talking about Brexit and England leaving the European Union. I mean, literally, even the European Union itself cannot agree on maintaining England as part of its members. Of course, I, I also know a lot about Middle East and now the struggle between the nations, between the nations of Kuwait, Qatar, Dubai, uh, Emirate, that is, as well as, let's say, Yemen and Saudi Arabia. On the other hand, we have like the Middle East issues, basically, between Iran and Israel. Then we have like Russia right now fighting with Ukraine. So when you look at the world right now, I mean, just ignore. I mean, less the U.S., of course, there's a lot of problems here, like the U.S. and China's trade war. That's a serious problem. But anywhere in this world that I've worked, I have seen these discrepancies and these lacks of agreements that are currently uh, uh, quite visible to all of us around the world. So, I mean, right now, we have this problem everywhere, at least in the places that I have worked personally. And uh, I just don't see any way where these countries can agree on something as literally difficult to agree upon as a universal basic income, because we're literally talking about handing people free money. And that's going to take yeah. a lot of negotiations and probably, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I don't know, really. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm with you on that. And the reason, the only reason I'm making the example of the United States is because almost everybody's familiar with them. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It's a, it's a big problem. Interesting. So, Marvin, we've already talked about this issue, this, uh, you know, finding a solution for this. And uh, we've talked about income. But could there be any way to, like, create a new type of employment? I mean, for example, think about, like, the 20th century, right? And uh, we had a lot of manufacturing jobs. And if you read the biographies, I'm a huge fan of one of my favorite, basically, mentors is Mr. Rockefeller. I read almost all of his biographies. And uh, at that time, almost everybody gave up hope on oil. And they thought that uh, it's never going to happen. It's going to go out very soon. And then somehow things changed. And then as we entered the 20, uh, basically, 20th century, and things changed a little bit, we, we thought like, oh my gosh, no more jobs, and suddenly the cars were manufactured. So right now, the threat of losing jobs is real, but could there be any way to create new forms of employment where we do not have to deal with the issue of mass unemployment? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of the technology that we're going to see is still going to require humans, uh, at least for the next 50, 100 years, I'd say. Um, so a lot of the like technology and AI is is advancing, sure, but you're still going to see that um, humans have have to make the decisions. Humans have to um, make design decisions. All these kind of things. Um, they're gonna they're gonna require people that know the technology and they also know the field. And so what we have right now is people specialized in certain fields. Uh, think of a doctor, for example. A doctor knows the human body pretty well, but might not know that much about you know technology or AI in particular, and so in, in the future, I think uh, a key criteria is going to be that humans understand technology as well and can apply it in, in different uh, work contexts. Um, overall, I'd say um, all the jobs are going to be more specific, so we need more education and we need better trained people to do them, and that's gonna require a huge change in education um, and all these things. And so, yeah, quite disruptive. Um, I think we can handle it. We have to, in a way. I uh, don't want to be uh, negative here all the time. Um, 
coming back though to um to like the universal basic income um it's never going to happen on a on a worldwide stage as long as we have nations exactly countries as long as long as there's rights uh, as long as people identify themselves more with their country rather than seeing humanity in, in, in one boat we, we're not going to see universal basic income this is never going to happen I mean, just think about like the amounts. I mean, literally, what amounts are we going to choose? For example, 1,000 euros in Sweden is almost nothing, whereas the same 1,000 euros in places like China can make you super rich. Like, uh, this is going to, how are we going to even determine the amount? What amount? What currency? How is it even possible? Because different countries have different GDP rates, different costs of living. And my experience proves to me actually that like if I have to spend time in Dubai, I have to spend a lot more money, for example, than I have to spend time in, let's say, Serbia. So how are we going to like even agree upon the amount that is a universal basic income? Very true. And not just compare countries, just look within a country, like city versus non-city, like it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, to to say like you need to have like a, a huge table and uh, saying every for every region how much you uh, how much you should get and uh, and then you know like an argument always uh, for the, the basic income is you know it, it lowers administration like it, it, it causes less bureaucracy and these kind of things which is I think it's a false argument because you still have that like we just talked about it like. How do you determine how much a person gets? Like, sure, the idea is universal, but isn't that fair? Like, if somebody has a a, a health condition, for example, or lives in a city, like, you know, I, I feel like it would be fair to take that into account. Mm -hmm. and so, a universal income that just gives the same money to everyone is kind of unfair. Exactly. In that sense. It's really unfair in that case. Just the very essence of, like, we are trying to promote egalitarianism, but actually it becomes very, very unfair because that thousand euros handout will make that Chinese citizen, will he will be, like, super happy, like, dude, look what I can do right now versus somebody, I don't know, let's say in Denmark, right? So it's going to create a lot of problems. And I don't know, personally, it seems almost impossible to be implemented. So Pujix, what do you think about this? Like, uh, is this thing really impossible or... Is there any other solution for this issue? I mean, how do we deal with technological disruption? Well, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's a big challenge for sure. I don't know if it's ever possible. And I'm particularly not a big fan of, again, I'm not very up-to-date on the literacy either. So maybe there has been breakthroughs. Maybe they have uh, different you know, def uh, definition coming into I I know that, for example, Ontario and Canada is doing a pilot project on universal basic income within the within the province. Um, I I don't know how that's pa uh, panning out, and um, uh, maybe I should have been reading on it before this. There's, but, there's so no results yet. Right. So, so bottom line is that this is good that we are experimenting because that's 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 a point. Like that's what I'm saying. Like even with the, all that we said, which makes absolute sense, I agree with both you and Marvin, especially regarding okay, this is not fair. Um, that's one one problem. Uh, you you can you can then change that. That's still manageable. Very hard, but still manageable. Change that. Universality, not based on the amounts that you're giving to people, but rather the impact that you're creating in people's lives. That again, very hard, but still manageable. But uh, my uh, my point is that we, 
there are there can be potentially lots of other problems that we're not even seeing before implementing them. So obviously studies need to be done, whether theoretical and in practice, actually uh, pilot projects, etc. But beyond that, I'm not really. I don't really think that's uh, neither the absolute necessity. Maybe at some point, but not in the next 10 years maybe and most importantly not the only thing that we need to do even if it's something that we need to do and i think um, as marvin mentioned people knowing how technology works more than ever and being able to use them will become um, ever more important and there is also another case that yuval noah harari makes about this and that is we are going to have to in the like years to come we are going to have to keep reinventing ourselves because all these jobs keeps changing precisely one of the skills that we have to learn to be able to cope with reinvention of ourselves which i think uh, amongst all the arguments i've heard that makes a whole more uh, a lot more sense to me practically than anything else that i've heard uh, in this context what a great discussion and we're out of time here so let's try to actually wrap up the conversation and reach a conclusion so Marvin, today we talked a lot about the issue of technological disruption and proposing a solution as universal basic income. So after all that we talked, what is now your overall basically uh, taking of this discussion and what is your conclusion? Um, I think the time for the universal basic income has not come yet. It might be in the future. It might be that uh, we kind of solve other problems first, like climate change and trade wars and whatever um so we can have a consensus and we can come together and then we can have a discussion about things like these um but so far i don't think it's gonna happen in, in, the, in the future anytime soon um but that being said i think the idea like it, the basic income often is is like a, a populist idea if, if, you, if you think about it uh it's easy um and it's it's supposedly solves a lot of problems and uh yeah so i think it kind of makes sense to to look at what these problems are and then maybe target them specifically so mm-hmm. maybe a thing is um a lot of the misery that people experience nowadays is because of employment models that are really unfair and um push they, they push wages down like people don't earn a lot of money um they work bad hours stuff like that and i think if we, if we tackle these a bit more um maybe increasing the minimum wage um i think that might be at least for the the short medium future m- might be a better way to to handle these things what a great way to put it i i think yeah i think and another thing that comes with it and we don't see that right now is we have to put more money into education mm-hmm. the education system is just at a really really bad state it's it's from it's like 100 years old like uh, we're not gonna solve the problems uh, that are coming to us in, in the next 100 years with that system and so i think if we if we kind of talk a bit more about these things if we uh, renew them and uh, advance them i think we have a better chance to lift people out of poverty and uh, and help people um live a decent life fantastic great comments and you Pujix what are your final thoughts yeah I mean I wasn't I, I, although it was our last episode education wasn't really fresh on my mind I think that that could be possibly because no matter what comes next the first step is that people need to be uh, equipped with the skills and 
be educated on the matters that they need to deal with, whether at work or their lives or whatever. So that that definitely is a good investment, no matter what. Um, and yes, I mean, I, again, this turned out to be more pessimistic than I thought it's going to be, but it's not really. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 because it's uh, it's going to hit us in the face very quickly. It's not something mm-hmm. we can ignore, and I I'm not really that pessimistic about it. It's just that it is a problem and it is a big one, and we need to be talking about it, which is becoming more and more uh, popular in terms of a topic, but um, yeah, still not good enough, I think. What a great discussion. I just enjoyed every single, basically, second of it, and I really appreciate both of you guys sharing your thoughts and ideas and somehow helping our audience understand this real dramatic issue that is going to basically afflict a lot of us in the coming decades. So hopefully things will be great, and I want to thank both of you guys, uh, Pujix and Marvin, for your great and wonderful contributions. Well, thank you. And to all of the listeners out there, thank you very much for following the show. We are getting a lot of great feedback. And of course, thanks to your attention, we are going up in popularity. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, please leave them on our website at basically potbean.com. Or you can simply contact us directly, send a DM perhaps, or suggest certain topics or ideas for the show. We'd like to listen to basically your ideas and hear from you. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Daniel Morgan, and this was Beyond the Present Podcast. Beyond the Present Podcast.